Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! Okay, yeehaw! I saw a shirt the other day that said uh, the the land of the ye and the home of the of the, the yah. Ha. Oh. ha. Ha. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. Not yeah. Not yeah. Yeah would be different. <laughs> That's a different saying. <laughs> Anyways, I, I thought that was funny. Bless I your laughed. Heart. Yeah. I'm going to try as many southernisms as I can in this podcast. That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. Well, if, if, uh, yeah, if you're still with us, Congratulations. That's that's endurance right hey, there. Hey, we don't need to apologize. We are who we are. I, I didn't apologize. We're just fixing to do this podcast the way that God designed us. There you go. You you're 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 getting there. <laughs> if all y'all are still yeah. All y'all are still with us. Hey, speaking of with us, we have a team from uh, California and uh, our sending church that's local out here with our church plant right now. And we are getting ready tomorrow on Tuesday to launch a three-day uh, VBS style camp. Epic Challenge Camp is what it's being called. Super cool. Yeah. We're excited about it. We've got uh, people from our community signed up for this, including some mm. that, that aren't part of our church family here. And uh, we're excited to- uh, Lots of people that from, aren't from our church. Right. We just Actually, saw some registrations today. And yeah. Still coming. Yeah. And so we're, we're stoked for that. We're thankful for this team. There's about 50 of them that are out here, 53, I think that are out here and uh, they are ready to, to help us launch this camp and do this camp and, uh, yeah, and just serve so the cool. church. Thank yeah. you guys for coming out. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. They've been out uh, passing out invitations. They've been in, in neighborhoods and at splash pads and everything yep. else. So pretty cool. Well, we are in uh, the book of Psalms. Now we are no longer in Job. Psalms. Let's do Psalms. Yep. Uh, so, Question, when a psalm is quoted, is it Psalms 1, verse 5, or is it Psalm 1, verse 5? I, I think technically both are acceptable. But there's really only one answer to this no, question. No, I, I technically both are acceptable. Let's just let the record show. You show me where it says in any textbook about the English language that demands psalm versus psalms, because, and I'll, I'll take it. Because it's the book of psalms. And they're individual psalms that make up the book of psalms, but it's it's one psalm. It's like... I get it. Like I understand that, but it's technically allowable. And it's technically wrong. It's... Uh, I don't think that's how that works. But no, because if I, if I have a bundle of a bunch of grapes and I pull a singular grape out, I'm not saying, hey, look at this grapes. If the grapes were numbered, I think you would be able to do that. Grapes no, one, grapes no, two. No, 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 I would not. I, I'd say, look at the grape. Okay. When when this the is psalms one. become a grape, a piece of fruit, then okay, maybe I'll agree with you. Dude. But when you're referring to them, Psalms twenty five. It's no twenty six. No, it's Psalm singular. I, as, that's a part of the book of Psalms. I, well, Psalms is a proper noun, so Psalms chapter forty two would work because you're referring to the proper noun, the book called Psalms. That, that's the way it is, Pastor PJ. I'm sorry you don't like that. It's wrong. May the Lord bless you. It's wrong. And keep you. Anyway. And make his face to shine upon speaking you. Speaking of the book made up of a lot of individual psalms that are called a psalm, uh, speaking of psalms, this is the most frequently quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. So when you think about Old, New Testament quotations of Old Testament books, 
the book of Psalms has the most bar none. Very cool. Which, I mean, it's stacked in, in his favor. There's 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms. So there's, there's quite a few to, to choose from there. The only books that don't reference it at all or even allude to it, 1 Thessalonians, Philemon, and 2nd and 3rd John. Oh, wow. Every other one. What's their problem? I don't know. I don't know. David's probably up in heaven going, seriously, guys? You couldn't have just once? <laughs> it's divided, the, the book of Psalms is, into these five different books, which is, uh, is again, more of a, an editorial decision there. But Psalm 1 through 41, you've got uh, a lot from, from King David. Same with Psalms 42 through 72. And then... Psalms? Psalms, 42. yes, because I'm talking about multiple Psalms in that range. Okay, well, okay, answer me this. Answer me this. When you quote a proverb, do you say proverb seven, proverb 13, or do you say proverbs seven or proverbs 13? I said, but they're proper noun, right? No, but the lamentations, each verse, lamentations no, for, no, or lamentation it's for it's different because the Psalm is a unit. Just admit defeat. Each, no, cause admit each, defeat. No, cause listen, no, cause I will, I will win <laughs> because each Psalm is a unit, right? It's a song. Each proverb, each chapter in Proverbs is not one singular unit. If I'm talking about the proverb contained in, in chapter 10, verse 2, that is a singular proverb. I would say the Jeremiah's proverb. Jeremiah's Lamentations. Huh? Jeremiah's Lamentations. There's multiple Lamentations in there. But right? they're not defined units the way that this is. I think they're pretty These clear. are songs, right? Th- this is a singular song in Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 2, Psalm chapter 3. It's, it's one. Let's, it's, let the it's audience decide. I'm going to let the audience. You know what? Okay. Your podcast. I'm just here adding some color <laughs> and flavor. It's like some salt. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Let's get into Psalm chapter one. There's five Psalm books. That's one. all you need to know. Here we go. They're, they're divided up. Book one. We've got Psalm one. And, uh, and really what we have in Psalm one is an invitation to the Psalter. Uh, it, it lays out, there's really two paths to take here. And what I want to do here in, in our time is it really combines Psalm one and Psalm two, because oh. they were probably most likely originally one singular Psalm that were divided in half by somebody else later on down the road. In fact, some of the earliest manuscripts give evidence to that. Mm-hmm. And another way to to, uh, to see that even in the text is you'll notice the first word in Psalm 1, verse 1, is blessed. And the final uh, verse in, or the final line in Psalm 12, or Psalm 2, verse 12, is starts with the word blessed. So it's bookended there with this concept of blessing. Mm-hmm. But in Psalm 1, you get the concept of there's these there's two paths. There's the, the, the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. And the, the path of the righteous is commended. The, the man is blessed who avoids the wicked. And, and notice the, 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 uh, the, the intensification here of, um, of being with the wicked. He's not walking in the counsel of the wicked. So there's advice. He's not standing in the way of sinners. There's behavior. And he's not sitting in the seat of scoffers. There's settled association, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's the walking. There's the standing. And now there's the sitting. And he's saying, you're not growing in wickedness here if you are on the the path of righteousness, but instead his delight is in the law of the Lord in the Psalms. The law of the Lord would have been the old Testament Torah. Torah. Yeah. The the first five books of the Bible, but not so much from a perspective of individual commands, but more as the, the instruction of the Lord all in all in all. We get that in Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, the praises of the law of God there. 
but he goes on and describes his his uh, the nourishment that comes from the word of God in verses three and four that he's like a tree that's been transplanted by streams of water uh, but then he's, he's talking about the wicked there towards the end the wicked are not going to stand in judgment for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish then we get to chapter two and here in chapter two I think again you see a continuation here but now it's focused on two groups you've got the wicked in the nations that are rebelling against God and his sovereign rule but then you've got the righteous one who's personified in the son of 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 the father the son of god who is installed as the king psalm 2 is a messianic psalm meaning it is a psalm that pertains to the person of the messiah we know him as as jesus and jesus is the embodiment of the righteous one in psalm chapter one and so in psalm chapter two you get this picture of you've got the wicked rebelling against god and then you've got the epitome of of the righteous one who's jesus who will ultimately in the end be the the source of judgment against the wicked and the source of deliverance for the one that is righteous who takes refuge in him so i'm sure one of the questions that a reader could potentially have in verse six of chapter two is when he talks about setting my king on zion my holy hill what's that a reference to zion was the uh the city of jerusalem was known as mount zion and so the holy hill would have been that holy inhabitation the city of jerusalem and, and there's still something to that today right there is something that that as dispensationalists we believe there's a future uh, right. literal millennial kingdom that is going to take place here on earth in the city of jerusalem which makes it even cooler for us today to go to jerusalem and to see the mount of olives and to think man the, the feet of jesus are going to come back right there on the mount of yet. olives that's right and, uh, and he will reign again from Jerusalem. So, and then you fast forward all the way to Revelation 21 and you've got the new Jerusalem that's coming down. So there's uh, massive significance to the city of, of Zion. It is a reference to Jerusalem there. You're going to see it a lot in the book of Psalms. You'll see a reference to Zion over and over again. So just kind of keep it in your mind. This is a reference to Jerusalem. It's a shorthand way of referring to it. Uh, Southern California, you might say I'm from SoCal. Uh, specifically, I'm from Orange County, but I would say SoCal and say Orange County in the same breath. They kind of mean the same thing. Right, right. It, there's a there's, man. There's so much in the book of Psalms, and and we've got to be careful not to to belabor this too much or get lost too much in the weeds here. Uh, but just it's it, it, these opening two Psalms are an invitation into the whole book as a whole, and it's it's again calling us to the the way of righteousness versus the way of the the wicked. There, Psalm two was this messianic psalm that talks about the installation of the the ultimate messianic king, who is Jesus. Um, yeah. It, it also came to be a coronation psalm that was read at the the inauguration of all the, the the Israelite kings, but primarily it has to do with Jesus. Then we get into Psalm three, and Psalm three stands out a little bit because you have this this in this superscription is what it's called, and it's right under the title there in your ESV Bible, "Save me, O my God." Mm. But it says a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. And there's a lot of question, was that added by a later editor or was this part of the original text? There's a lot, there's good reason for us to believe this is part of the original, that as King David penned this, he made note that this is what was going on during that time when he penned this psalm. Yeah, really cool. And and these these are unlike what you see in your ESV Bible. The titles are editors who put those in there to try right. to help you understand this. These are actually in the text that's been transmitted to us. So again, we see these and we don't just say, oh, it's another title by the ESV guys. No, this is actually in your Bible. Right, right. And it's uh, it's this time when Absalom had, had risen up against his father and won the hearts of a lot of the Israelites through deceptive ways and through undermining his dad. And he leads a rebellion and David's running for his life from his son at this point point. And so it's, it's not a good situation. So when David's talking about his foes in verse one and those rising against him and, and many are saving him, saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. His main opponent here is his, his son. 
And this is on the heels of everything with, with David and Bathsheba and the loss of his child that he had with Bathsheba. In fact, just go back and, and if you want to get the context of it, you can read 2 Samuel 14 through 18. And even you can back up to chapter 13 to get some more context there too and, and what's going on. But yep. it's a bad situation. And yet David is praying, he's lamenting in verses one and two, but then he's got this statement of confidence in verses three and four. And this is something that we'll see repeated over and over again in the, the Psalms, just the lament and the confidence, the petitions that he gives there, praying and requesting to God. And this is where it is different than Job. I think yesterday we made a comment here about sometimes even and we see some of the same stuff in, in the Psalms where right. there's the lament. And yet, so often in the Psalms, it's balanced with the confidence in who God is and God's character here. And we see that from King David right now. Yeah, that's one of the most important features, I think, of the lament Psalms, the, the laments, the, the songs of sorrow. Those songs are meant to help us see what it should look like when we lament to God. The, the lament is not the end in and of itself. The lament also serves a purpose most times to help us orient our hearts toward what we know to be true, even when everything in us feels like the opposite. Yeah. Just a, a, the one of the coolest things here in verse five, I, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I mean, he's sleeping while in the wilderness on the run from his son who's trying to kill him. I thought about Peter. And he sleeps. Right. Yeah. Right. Peter in prison, right? It's it's similar. And somebody, one commentator said, this is not the sleep of exhaustion, but the sleep of trust in God. Mm, I want that sleep all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, Philippians 4, 6 through 8 came to mind too, that peace that surpasses understanding that we get when we go to the Lord with our problems the way that King David does here and, uh, and bring our anxieties to him. Amen. Well, let's flip over to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we are um, now stepping into this second missionary journey, and there's a familiar name that should jump off the page at us right away in Acts chapter 16, and that is the name of Timothy. So Paul comes to Derby and Lystra. Remember, we talked last time, he kind of goes north from where they were, and he goes up through the region of Galatia, uh, and, and now he's visiting some of the areas that he's already been, but he comes specifically here to Lystra and, and encounters Timothy. Timothy. Now, it says that Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a Christian, a believer, but his father was a Greek. There's questions about Timothy. Who saved Timothy? Or Well, God saved Timothy. But <laughs> I'm clear on that. Right. But was Timothy, uh, as, as the letter to Timothy might imply, that he was the child of a believing woman, as it says here, but also a believing grandmother? Right. Were they the ones that were instrumental in his salvation? Paul calls him his child in the faith in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So did, was Paul the one that, that led him to Christ at some point, and now he's coming back? Either way, you've got Timothy in a situation where he's a believer, his mom's a believer, but his dad's a Greek, which probably led to the reason why he was not circumcised. Mm-hmm. Because his mom's a Jewish believer, but his dad being a Greek, and, and the implication here in the text is that his dad was not a Christian, nor was he a Jew at all, right. and probably didn't want Timothy going through that. Paul comes along, Paul takes Timothy and goes and circumcises him. What gives? Didn't we just read something about this? Yeah. In fact, and, and what about 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul says, if you're uncircumcised, remain uncircumcised. Stay that way. Right? So why this? And, and I think the, the reason why is because of the ministry that Paul had in mind that he was going to do, this was going to make them more effective and make Timothy more effective in accomplishing their ministerial goals uh, in the calling that God had placed on their lives. What an, incre- what, about a, what an incredible thing to do, especially on the heels of what we just read. But totally. I think so important for us to see, there are times for us to, to make decisions, strategic decisions that while not law, will still help us to gain a hearing with our audience. And this is Paul being a great missionary, a great contextualizer by doing something that he didn't have to do. Right. But he did it in order not to be a stumbling block to gain a hearing with the gospel. This is Timothy. 
that's doing this though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I don't know how painful it was for Paul to be like, dude, you got to go do this. <laughs> Maybe Paul did it. I don't know. He's probably used to some of that stuff. He probably was. He probably was. They go on together along with Silas though. And they're going through Phrygia and Galatia. And, and I would encourage you again, pull out your Atlas, pull out the map in the back of your Bible, look up some of these areas. So you kind of get a picture of what's going on here. I mean, by the time they get to Philippi, which we're going to get to, they've traveled about 1500 miles to get all the way back to Jerusalem at this point. So, we can lose track of the, this because we're we're not following along in real time. But they're this is a journey. They're traveling, but they want to go into Asia, and it says that the the spirit prohibited them from going to Asia. Pastor Rod, what do we do with that? How do we handle that little prohibition that it gives there? You should put out fleece in your front lawn and ask God to lead you. Stop. Okay. Okay, maybe we don't, maybe don't do that. However, one of the things to note in the book of Acts is, is the remarkable and unique role that the Holy Spirit plays in the life of the apostles, the disciples. He's very active. In fact, one of the one of the alternative titles of the book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the life of the apostles, mm. or the Acts of Jesus and His Spirit through the life of the apostles. It's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. That's probably why it didn't gain a lot of traction. But here, you can see that God is very active in the life of His believing uh, of of His His. Uh, missionaries, his apostles. Mm. For you and I, it's not going to look the same, but the same spirit is alive and at work in us. How does he do that today? Well, primarily, we're going to be led through his ministry and work in his word. The word of God inspired by the spirit is what we use. So when it comes to being forbidden by the spirit to speak a word in Asia, man, I don't know exactly what to do with that. I'm not sure how to handle that today because I don't know if that he, I don't know that he does that except through if we have a clear prohibition in scripture. Here, don't put yourself under that same yoke or that bondage. God doesn't typically work this way. He works through his word. Let Be led by that. I, I would agree with that. And yet I do think there's elements like I, I know, for instance, we've got people on this church plant with us who had thought about in the past going on another church plant mm. and they had prayed about it and they had said, man, it would be really cool to go to Tustin or Huntington Beach or, or to Boise. And for whatever reason, they it, it didn't work out for them to go on that or they really felt at the end God wasn't leading them to go on that church plant. And then when the opportunity arose this time to go on, on the plant with us and to come move to Texas with us, they said, yeah, we want to go do that. And they prayed about it and the doors opened and they, they came here. So it, 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 I think it, it, it happens probably in a more subtle way. I'm not saying the spirit is speaking directly to them the way it seems like the spirit was clearly saying, no, you're not going there. But I do think there's times where we might have a desire to go do something. And it's very clear in our lives that God's saying, nope, that's not where I want you. And that's not where I have you right now. Well, see, and that's where I think this is the challenge. When you ask someone, if if you're going to judge that, how would you know? You might say, okay, well, circumstantially, things were really hard. We struggled. I couldn't find a job. I I wanted to do these things, but man, there were so many obstacles. Well, tell that to the apostle Paul. (laughs) He was a man who was, that's all he ever knew. So I don't, again, I I get that. And I understand there is a subjective sense of the spirit's leadership in our lives today. And I'm all about that. I'm trying to be sensitive to his leadership. I just struggle when it's being assertive or certain to say, yeah, that was a spirit who told me to do this that's or fair. to do that. Yeah, that's fair. We don't know why the spirit didn't want them to go to Asia, except that we do know he wanted them in Macedonia because they get this vision that comes. And, and now this is where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not having any visions, right? That's like, you, you need to go do this. Yeah. Keep that to yourself. Okay. Um, 
but Paul sees the vision and it says, there's this man that's standing there urging him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so Paul and and his companions say, okay, we're going to go. And that's, that's where they go because in his heart, he was like, this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to preach the gospel there. So they get to Macedonia. Now Macedonia, think Philippi, right? And that's what it says right there in the text. From there, they went to Philippi, a leading city of the district of Macedonia. So here, I want you to write in the margin next to your Bibles. If you do that, write Philippians. Because when you read the letter of Paul to the the church in Philippi, he's thinking about the people that we meet here in Acts chapter 16. He's thinking about Lydia. He's thinking about the the jailer that we'll meet tomorrow. He's thinking about Mm. potentially even this demonically possessed woman that we'll meet in the text tomorrow as well. But but this is the church in Philippi. And it's kind of cool that we get some real life people that Paul would have had in mind as he's writing to them later on in his ministry. Super cool too. You can go visit these places today. Yep. I mean, if you want to do a footsteps of Paul tour, you you can do that. Right. This is why the Bible is so different than any other book out there. The Bible's not written in some airy fairy vision only in the sky. This is real life with real people with a real gospel going out to a world that you could still go visit. Totally. He meets Lydia. Lydia is from a region in a region called Lydia. And so she's kind of named after her home region there, her home area. But she is a purveyor of purple goods, which was what the city of Thyatira was known for. And uh, it says that she was a worshiper of God. But I want you to also notice that she had need of something still, even being a worshiper of God. Notice what it says next. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So even though she was a worshiper of God or like Cornelius was a God-fearing man that we read about earlier, they both still needed God to open their heart, to open their eyes, to be able to allow them to understand and discern the things of the gospel. And that's that's what we see here with, with Lydia. In fact, if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul's talking about this same region here, and he's talking about the believers there. And he says that they received the gospel in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Mm. So even in 1 Thess, he's saying it's the Holy Spirit that was enabling them to understand and be open to the word of God. And so we see the fruitfulness of the Apostle Paul's ministry here, but it's not because Lydia was uh, you know, a, a fearer of God that, that qualified her to be a believer any more than those that were saved that maybe came out of more pagan and, and ritualistic and cultic backgrounds. She still needed the, the the work of God to open her eyes, and, and God, by his grace, did so in this text. The implications of believing that God acts upon us before we ever respond are, I, I can't think of any other word other than humility. Yeah. That's what the gospel does for I mean, for this particular stripe of theology. We think that God must act upon us because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Right. If we believe that, we should have every reason to be humbly um I guess submissive to this and to love God all the more for doing this in our lives. Right. Pray for God to do that to others. Totally. Totally. Well, we'll be back again tomorrow for another episode of the daily Bible podcast, but just one concluding thought here as Paul and Timothy and Silas are out on this missionary journey, they're taking the gospel to people who needed it. Think today maybe about somebody who brought the gospel to you for the first time and thank God for them and thank God for, for him allowing them to come into your life and, and to preach the word and thank God that he allowed you to understand by opening your heart to pay attention to what was said by them. We'll catch you tomorrow for another episode of the daily Bible podcast. See y'all. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. (laughs) 